Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Yo, yo, yo. Sorry, I don't know why I started like that. Welcome to another episode of Soundtracking with me, Edith Bowman. I say another because I love when I hear people uh, get in touch with us and say, oh, I just discovered your podcast. I'm like, wicked. Doesn't matter when you've come to it. I'm just glad that you found us. So maybe this could well be your first listen. So welcome and welcome back to our new friends, our old friends, but we're all friends as we dive into a conversation every week about film and music. Sometimes it's a really in-depth conversation about the intricacies around the creation of the music and how it fits in with the narrative and the characters. And then other times it's a little bit more kind of surface level and then everything in between. But whatever it is, I can't tell you how much I enjoy having these conversations and bringing them to you. And I hope you enjoy listening to them half as much as I enjoy doing them. As I record this on a Sunday evening, the 4th of February, about quarter past seven in the evening, I am slightly giddy about the person that I am due to be interviewing tomorrow afternoon, approximately 2pm UK time. But I'm not going to jinx things like I did with the Talking Heads episode. So needless to say, when I'm asked about who are the people that I would still love to have on this podcast, the name of this gentleman comes up regularly. He is definitely in the top three of people that I am desperate to have on this podcast. We have spoken to a couple of his creatives in the past, but needless to say that his continued thirst for filmmaking is infectious. So look out, folks. We have a legend in cinema on the way. Not to say that today's guests are not legendary status because they are and they have created for me one of the best films of the past I don't know, I think ever for me, to be honest, because the filmmaker that you'll hear on today's episode is someone who kind of just has created his own thing. Nobody makes films like Yorgos Lanthimos. Uh, We've got a Poor Things doubleheader for you today. First up, Yorgos and Emma Stone join me to discuss their collaboration on the film before their composer, Jerskin Fendrix, joins us. Now, as well as producing the film, Emma stars as the fabulous Bella Baxter, a young woman in Victorian London who is resurrected by a scientist following her suicide and embarks on an odyssey of new discovery. It's the first time Yorgos has used a composer in the conventional sense. So we'll begin with Jerskin's cue, Bella and Max.
Hallo, Gosheimer. Hi, Dev. How are you? Good, how are you? I'm really good. I'm sorry I can't be there in person today. I'm seeing you tonight, though, randomly, um, but I'm weirdly in a secret location filming. Congratulations on the film. It is absolutely astounding. There is so much about it that is fresh and new and inspiring and thoughtful and makes you think as a person and entertaining. And I just loved so much about it. So congratulations. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, <laughs> I want to talk. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, you Edith. <laughs> you can only both answer in unison, please. That would be wonderful. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, Let's test our Yorgos, I wanted to talk about um, this wonderful job that Jerskin's done, um, who I spoke to about three weeks ago about this amazing, I, I don't want to call it a score because it's more than that. It's this kind of, kind of musical companion almost that travels with you through the film and takes you in, inside the head sometimes of the characters. What was the decision behind bringing him on board because this is the first time you've kind of used a composer in a more traditional sense I guess yeah no I I, I was trying for years to, to work with a composer but I think the way I work kind of made it almost impossible I, I usually I I chose music for the films during the editing process and it became so uh, specifically uh, inter intertwined with the film itself and every scene uh, had a very specific tone that, you know, I couldn't just dismiss that afterwards and use like similar music by a composer or something different. So the way it worked with Jerskin, because uh, I was always, you know, looking out for composers, the way it worked with Jerskin is that well, first of all, I, heard, I, I listened to his uh, first album which is like a pop album, I guess. Uh, but it was so special and uh, so diverse in terms of sound, themes, melodies, styles. Pick up the phone, I've waited 22 years for this. I feel it in my bones, I see it on the quiet earth. something in it that made me feel that he might be the right person uh, to work with, especially for poor things. I mean, I had no idea if he had, if he had ever done anything like it or anything else. And so I met him and, you know, he'd never, you know, written a, a music for a film before. And that, that was his first album. Uh, and the way it worked was we decided that he would actually compose the music before he saw even a frame of the film. So it would work similarly to how I had worked before. We would have a library of music before I started editing, and then I would use that music during editing uh, and see if it would work out. So 
We we started early on, and I showed him the script and uh, whatever kind of design that we had for, uh, had for the world and the costumes and the characters. So just with that and some kind of very basic conversation about what the music could be and why I was interested in him, which I can't repeat, don't ask me. <laughs> um, I don't remember what it was. Uh, and it was very instinctive anyway. It was just that. So he started composing music. And then I think it was like three main um, stints of him, you know, composing pieces. And each time we would listen to it. And then I would try to imagine what else it would be that we needed or or sort out which kind of things felt more right without even having you know, any material to to pair it with at the, at the time. But we just kept doing that. And by the time we started filming, we already had this library of, of music, like original music by him, uh, which was, by the way, you know, it was there were supposed to be temp music, uh, like the temp recordings. But it sounded amazing because he also plays the violin and piano and he recorded everything himself. Uh, and it already sounded amazing. So I used that music uh, during the editing. And I would sometimes have to, you know, cut it up roughly because, you know, it wasn't timed to any scene or anything. But actually, like 90% of the music that he composed before uh, is the music that's in the film. And it actually was more difficult, that 10 or 5% that he had to do afterwards when there was a scene, <laughs> that there was a specific scene, it became more difficult for him to do because then it became too specific and uh, maybe the music would become sometimes too descriptive. Uh, yeah. So we actually had more difficulty in doing that last part than the entire score. So yeah, I think he's great, and the, it and we were working together on the next one, on the next film we shot, and we're doing it the same way. He recorded the music beforehand, and I have it now uh, in the edit, and I'm I'm using his music. Emma, were you did you have access to stuff as well? Because I mean, what the kind of instrumentation that you've gone for with this with the score is is so clever in terms of the journey of Bella and how almost kind of like a. It's almost like a starts off. It's almost like a child's music box, kind of winding up in a way, you know. When we, when we, and how that progresses and her theme as well. Were you privy to any of that music when you were shooting? And, and was it was it useful? Was it helpful? Did Bef you before shooting? I mean, um, and whilst shooting, yeah. I remember when you sent me his album. Was that the first? Time? How soon after hearing his music for the first time did you send me his? like pop album no, immediately okay so the day that he heard Jerskin's music for the first time he sent me this album and he was like I think I could I think he could be a composer I was like uh, okay and um, listened to his album and it was incredible but it was you know a, a very interesting layered complex version of pop music and so 
then they started working together. He had gone to meet him and all of that. And then I went to Athens before we started shooting, a few months before we started shooting. And we just sat and listened to everything that they had gone back and forth about and, and worked on. And um, I'm pretty sure I cried, but that wouldn't be surprising. And it, it was so beautiful. And, and like he's saying, it was pretty much exactly what you hear in the film now. So I had heard that going in. And then the Lisbon dance sequence, which Jerskin is actually in, playing mm-hmm. a, a made-up instrument, um, that was what we were rehearsing. You know, that, that song was what Mark and I were rehearsing to as we were working on the dance. And I had heard the other music of, of the film throughout. And so... Yeah, so long story short, I was very privy to it and, and very excited about what the music ultimately was going to be to know going in. I mean, I imagine the, 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 this fantastic performance that you give of this character, you know, in her journey throughout this film. Is, are those kind of things kind of helpful in a way in terms of, you know, you've got this beautiful and brilliant set that's been created. You've got the, these costumes as well that, I mean, I'd buy the entire range of <laughs> Uh, and then, you know, these it's almost kind of like these helpful tools along the way that once you've kind of got them all in your belt, they're kind of like, okay, you know, it kind of gives you even a bigger, an even bigger playroom to play in, in a way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every aspect of this film felt entirely original and, and unlike anything I had ever seen or heard before, or a character I had never... <laughs> experience before (laughs) so it was it was every every aspect that you're that you're talking about was you know without all of that I don't I don't know how this exists obviously Mm -hmm. in the way that it does and it feels like Bella's journey I could just look around you know at these sets or at these clothes or listen to that music and it felt like it all informed you know who she is and who she's becoming and how she's evolving so extraordinarily helpful all of it i kind of almost feel like everybody should be a bit more bella in life i agree <laughs> yeah just kind of cut out the crap so lose the filters just just say it as it is be forthright yeah yeah totally absolutely what would be a better place with more bellas around yeah, see i'm trying to be more bella and you don't let me i let you I- you just have to but bella's so nice <laughs> nah not always oh. not always <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> no, he's just trying to be less filtered while we're doing interviews. Yeah. And I'm like, watch yourself, buddy. It's condescending to tell her to say that she's nice. That's very true. Sweet. But I'm just saying, you know, she's not, you know, she doesn't go out of her way to say, yeah. Well, not out of her that's way. Not, well, that's not true. She does have to punch a baby. Yeah. By Can the way, end? this is the beautiful accent. I know. We love your oh, accent. It's great. I'm I'm available for um, if you want to hang out. Or you can listen. I mean, I'm not just going to talk at you. It's fine. <laughs> but that would be helpful. But that would actually. be the point. That would be yeah. great. Yeah, send it over. I'll record it for you. Um, can we talk a little bit about that dance scene because it's oh, it's fantastic. It's just so great. It's so expressive, and it's just it's almost like a little short film within the film in a way. It's absolutely wonderful. Uh, in terms of kind of you know working with a choreo- choreographer, it's a really hard word to say choreographer, but then also making it feel like it isn't choreographed. That's that's a really tricky thing to get right, but it's so kind of spot on as well. And it's a, it's an expression of heart as well. What was the kind of the preparation going into that, and how much preparation did you have for that? Yeah, so we worked with Constanza Macras, who is a choreographer that we worked uh, on the favorite as well. There was. 
uh, a little bit of dancing there too. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, we kind of knew each other and, um, she kind of knew what we were going for. Of course, this is, you know, quite different in terms of the context, but, um, we were starting, you know, on a, on a good, uh, foundation and yeah, we just, uh, she came up with the choreography that was much longer and then we would start rehearsing with the actors and, you know, we would see how it felt and change things and everybody would have, you know, their input in things that they felt more comfortable with or they felt right for the character or how they moved or things that I watched from outside that I felt that they work or not work. And it was just a lot of, you know, uh, physical and practical rehearsal, basically, and, and structuring that choreography and taking things out, putting things in, and just working on it a lot. And then we kind of film it over two days because there's the fight scene as well uh, uh, that's happening there. So, yeah, it took, a, it took a long time. They danced a lot. I mean, we they, danced a lot. They were exhausted by the end of it, like oh, everyone. And, and the... Crew, so, the camera crew. The, the crew and the other actors. The, but I'm, Robbie at one point, our, the DP, obviously, Robbie Ryan, he, he had the... He was like on the floor following us around and then I kicked him. Which is in the film. Which is in the film. In the, in the fight sequence, he's like following us. I mean, everyone was exhausted. But, uh, and then I, you know, in the end kicked him. But he, it worked out. He, well, he kind of bumped. Didn't mean to. He bumped me and then I. To your leg. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so we were all, we were all in the chaos. Yeah. <laughs> We feel in it. I think that's the wonderful thing. It's so immersive, you know. It's kind of like the scrum. It, it, yeah, and all those all those sets as well. You know, when she's exploring Lisbon as well, you kind of feel like you're kind of twisting and turning down those alleyways, yeah. ways weather. Um, and I was so kind of amazed to hear the 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 scale of the sets that you you built and Lisbon in particular someone said it was kind of like a 45 minute walk <laughs> it was the entire set. I mean a leisurely 45 minute yeah. walk I, I don't it know sounds excessive like, yeah at, a at donder, speed as we'd say in Scotland a wee donder <laughs> a wee donder a wee donder oh a wee donder I like that yeah we found her <laughs> we found you and <laughs> um, what's the, what the was, one we was, heard out the windy you're the windy you're Bums out the windy? <laughs> Your bums out the windy. <laughs> I've got a great word for you. What? It's furde. Furde? What? It means dirty, filthy. You're furde. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. Fills your mouth. Yeah. Furde. It's just, 
And you spit the dirt at people when you say it. So like, it. Wow, that's really good. Anyway. Anyway, let's get back to your film. I don't want to. I like this. Yorgos, I'm so glad that you persuaded Mark Ruffalo as well, because I know <laughs> I, I had uh, him and Willem came. I was covering on Radio 2 and we did a, a co-host and they were picked tunes and stuff. And he was talking about uh, how, you know, you'd said he was like, you were like, it's you. And how you weren't kind of letting him kind of skip away from this at all sort of thing. And I'm so glad that you persuaded him because it's so wonderful to see him in this role and something we've never seen him in before. And Emma, just the two of you on screen together is just, it's a great pairing. It's such a great pairing. And you could, t- I mean, I, I hope that, that it feels like it was a genuine kind of connection that you guys kind of had with those characters that we get to see on screen. Oh, man. I love he's so lovable. Mark is so easy to love, <laughs> even though he's so he's so self-flagellating. You know, he, he's like, oh, it was terrible. It was bad. Right. Right. Don't you think? Yorgo, isn't it bad? You know, he's just very like he's always worried that he's not, you know, doing it right or that he can't do yeah. it. Um, and I think part of the reason why Duncan is such a, you know, he's such an insane character. And so um you know, toxic in many ways and led by all these crazy things. But I think he's also extremely lovable because of Mark's sort of inherent empathy. So it was so easy to work with him because you just, he's so funny and so sweet. And then he's playing this hilarious kind of buffoon cad. Yeah, he was perfect. And I think he's yes. he needs convincing for every part, part that he does. Yeah, because it's not he's like just that. that. It's like he always doubts himself and he's not sure he can do it. And you just have to go like, yeah, you, you can do it. I've seen you do it. <laughs> you can do it. You haven't seen him do that. No, no. But like, you know, I trust, you know. You know you, we can do you it. Need to, you need to feel that you trust him. And then he's like off. Um, I also was something I was just thinking about today, Yorgos, is just how brilliant you are at telling... Uh, given the world of a wonderful perspective of, of females, you know, in terms of you just give female characters the opportunity to be different, to explore, to shine, to kind of, you know, to be complicated across a number of films. But, you know, and this one is, is you know, with Bella in particular, but I just wanted to kind of comment on that and say thank you for it really as well, because there's not enough kind of, Male, male filmmakers who really kind of do that on a kind of, you know, on a regular basis. And I don't know if it's a conscious thing with you or whether it's just you just find women are more interesting. He finds but, women oh, more interesting, <laughs> for <we> sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, but thank yeah. you for saying that because it's so easy to say, like, oh, a male director is, you know, making these films about women but I'm not sure if it's about women it's just like no it's for women yeah it's you know it's it's characters that fascinate me and you know I'm just interested in and you know I just put in whatever my my understanding of it is and my view of it is uh, and, but I think in this particular film also, I'll, there's a lot of the male <laughs> side of me and all the males around her and just acknowledging you know, the dysfunction insanity. and the insanity <laughs> of males uh, and how they're trying to uh, impose themselves uh, in society and, and control, you know, everything and every aspect of, you know, human life. And so there's, I think that was helpful, you know, being a male to be able to portray all those male characters as well while trying to allow Bella to just, you know, 
be who she is uh, in yeah. from from the novel to our script to uh, Emma portraying her. Yeah, just try and uh, enable that. And Emma, for you to be part of this whole journey, it's so exciting to see, you know, this chapter of your, you know, your creativity as a producer as well. Did you have you enjoyed that the, the process with, with this particular film in terms of how involved you've been? And, and, you know, you can kind of really see the pride come through from you when you watch you talk about it on that side of things. So much. I mean, it's, it's to be there from not the actual beginning of when he got the novel, but to be there for, you know, years before we started shooting and to get to be privy to all of these aspects, like even back to talking about Jerskin, like the day that he discovered his music and then hearing it in advance and all you're talking about costumes and production design and the cast and all of it. It feels like a different sense of uh, love and connection to this whole film and this whole experience. And I'm I'm so grateful for it. It really does feel different. What was it about um, Alistair's book, do you think, Yorgos, that you kind of just really connected with, that it was something that that you saw an opportunity to tell your version of, you know, of that? Uh, it was her. It was the Bella's character. It was just like unlike anything I've read before. I was totally, you know, taken by her. And, of course, you know, the the premise of it as well, the fact that, you know, you have this female character that's enabled through this situation to have a, a new start in life and, you know, get to know the world, but in her own terms and develop in her own terms, which is something that, you know, you don't see in real life. It, it just felt like so unique and fascinating to just create and watch, basically. Um, just before I run out of time as well, I think that, um, I mean, there's, there's there's so many elements to the film that are that are. I kind of you could almost have kind of spin-offs and I kind of almost want more Bella. We need more Bella <laughs> in our lives because she's just uh you fall in love with her immediately, you know, you kind of just enamored as everybody else is and uh, you know in in the film with her as well and stuff and and I imagine for you she's quite a hard character to kind of put to bed in a way or to kind of to kind of leave behind. Yeah, for all of us. We miss her. <laughs> we miss her very much. <laughs> well, it feels like she's still around, you know. There is yeah. the, the film. But it's, uh, yeah, really, a really, really difficult character to let go of. The last day of shooting was just like a traumatic, <laughs> but also beautiful. And it's, um, and that's the amazing thing about film or about art in general is that it's really special to work on something that then lives on and that you yeah. get to, you know, it's, it's that microcosmic kind of moment of, of actually making it, but then it just, it gets to live forever. And so that's yeah. also Beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. What was amazing when I was chatting to Mark and Willem was when they were talking about all the stuff that was going on before you started shooting. Like you, you're kind of, they called it the kind of Yorgos playroom of kind of, you know, all these kind of exercises and just kind of just finding the relationships and getting to know each other and all that. Their faces literally kind of beamed sunshine as soon as they started talking about it. You could see they just had the most wonderful experience you know Willem saying I've already filmed another film with him kind of thing and <laughs> um, how would you describe that 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 sort of element to your you know to your, your journey of, of making this film and why is that important to you as a director to to create those environments for for your cast where did it come from well I think it, it came uh, uh, from experimenting in theaters because I did a, a few plays in Greece and that's where I basically figured out how I was able to uh, 
work with actors and achieve a certain kind of uh, result or a certain kind, not necessarily result, but a certain kind of atmosphere and tone that enable them to mm. be the best version according to what we're trying to do because there's no absolute, you know, perfect thing. Yeah, so I, I, I think it, it really helps um, with them being very free when the time comes to actually film the scenes. And instead of uh, being too specific during rehearsals about, oh, how is that going to be, and analyzing things and trying to get it right then, and then when you go on set, it's a different to environment, and then it mm. doesn't happen the way you uh, designed it. I think it's more important to make them, f make them feel comfortable with each other and trust each other and be confident about what they're going to do and be able to try things without being self-conscious and, you know, everybody going in for the same thing. And, um, you know, practically speaking, there's another element to it that's, you know, while playing these games and doing exercises, we also use the text as well. So the text kind of enters them uh, through the back door. Uh, like it's it's not intellectualized, you know. It's not. There's got to be a better way to say that. Yeah. <laughs> it goes through them. Through osmosis. Uh, subconsciously. Subconsciously through the back door. Okay. <laughs> on that note, it's all to wrap. Ellis, in great to chat to you both. I'll see you tonight for the Q and A, actually, which I'm really excited oh, about. Oh, great. Thank you so much for your time today and, and thank you for this film. It is just a, it's a beautiful gift to the world. So thank you so much. Have thank a great you. It's always so good to talk to you, Rita. Thank See you. you. Soon. Bye. Bye. to poor things that's reanimation rounding off this first part of soundtracking with Yorgos Lanthimos and Emma Stone let's crack on with part two with composer Jerskin Fendrix and we'll start with his cue Duncan and Martha
it's nice to get the chance to speak to you in long form instead of that kind of fleeting chat that we had down at the at, um, yeah. at Barbican. Yeah. Mm, no, those things are always a little stressful. Those, <laughs> yeah. you know, I wouldn't yeah. move it around so much. I hope you got from our, our short conversation that night how much I enjoyed the film and how important your work on it is in terms of just the tone and the kind of the joy that you have in, in watching the film. So congratulations. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I don't know. How were you brought onto the project? What was your ask? What was the ask of you? Being brought on was kind of surreal, but actually quite straightforward. Basically, Yorgos had um, heard the album I released in 2020. The album's called Winterizer, and it's basically pop songs, quite unusual ones, but they are songs. There's nothing really anything instrumental or cinematic or scory about them. Mm-hmm. And he was, you know, trying to put a team together for this project. And I think compared with his previous films, it was something that was maybe a lot more exuberant in terms of its artistic style. And I know he'd already got, you know, a lot of the visual stuff together. And, I, you know, I just got an email in saying that he'd listened to it a lot and wanted to have a conversation. And then I was very swiftly sent like the full script for the film. And it's like 200 page visual document that had, you know, like the set design and the concept artwork and the costumes and so on. And, wow. and, and, and I knew I was about to chat to him like the next day. So I was looking at this stuff and thinking like, this is, <laughs> this is, this is a really large amount of information being sent for something. I have no idea, you know, why I'm involved in the conversation of. And then, yeah, he just said, do you want to have a go at writing some stuff for it? So I did. And now we're here. Yeah. Did it come with a security guard? Because I know how kind of like he's able to keep things. So, you know, in the world that we live in where everybody shares everything and it's really quite hard to keep things under wraps, Mm. he manages to do that with so much of his work, which makes the experience of being in it so much more enjoyable as well. But what was your reaction when you when you went through that huge kind of like experience i guess that he sent you oh no i thought it was wonderful i was very you know it was very moving i recall because i I mean i was really familiar with his films before and i thought they were wonderful i think you know especially the lobster was i think that was the first film of his i saw when i was at university and i thought it was you know really you know beautiful striking films and like really amazing explorations of social psychology um but but i think that often been associated with this kind of awkwardness and this clinical deliberate lack of, of like expressive emotionality and what he'd done so far and so reading the script it was so warm and the characters were so you know there was something so lovable about them even, even the ones who were kind of pretty explicitly unpleasant people they yeah. were still you know they, they, they seemed a bit more like stupid children than, than inherently evil people and all, like i think the entire cast had this that's kind of what's interesting about the film as well, I guess, because the conceit is that Bella's, you know, a kid, at least initially. But actually, I think so many of the characters like uh, Godwin and uh, Duncan and, yeah. and the general towards the end, they've got this childishness. They throw tantrums and, you, and like they're, it's almost like a morality play. Their, um, their emotional faults are in really kind of like harsh relief, like almost like, you know, kids, basically. I, I felt so warmly towards the entire the entire system of characters and the whole story as well as just Bella. And that was a great impetus to like, to, to, to want to write a lot of music that actually reflected that warmth and that naivety. Were there any 
kind of musical references within that because you know kind of historically Yorgos has never gone down that kind of traditional route of using a composer in his films you know he's used that wonderful relationship between music and sound particularly with the sound design that he so clearly cares about in his films but you know this is a this is a kind of different kind of uh, collaboration for him really than he's used to and I wondered whether that was something you talked to him about and you know asked him kind of why he was going down this route with this project. I try not to look a gift horse in the mouth too much with it. <laughs> I was I was aware that he, that he had not used a composer before, and I think he has. You know, he's he's a very yeah culturally educated listener. I like think the kind of range of music he was using in the film was like really interesting and striking, mm-hmm. mix of more traditional compositions and contemporary stuff and. Some quite, but you know, some like you know, Luke Ferrari and some quite unusual things. I did get the sense that not just my department, but yeah, like the visuals for the film and uh, the cosmetics and everything, he really wanted this to have something totally alien and totally ex nihilo and exclusive to itself. I think that was really important for the entire feel of the film. And when we started talking, the main, you know, the thing we sort of half wordlessly laid out was that we wouldn't talk about any other film scores there wouldn't be any other references we didn't even talk about any other composers in general like we, we like there was no point where we discussed which musicians we both liked or which composers we did we were kind of more talking abstractly i think about the film and about attitudes towards emotional representation like how yeah. humor can work how melodrama can work exaggeration subversion all these kind of things and i think it was great to be on the same page knowing like, okay, this, this is kind of, I can now see a bit more why he wanted to work with me. Cause I think we actually have really similar opinions on these more unusual ways of trying to transmit some quite important emotional themes. Was there a conversation around instrumentation from reading the script and, and then having a conversation about what he was looking for? What did you, what were you kind of drawn to in terms of, you know, musically? Yeah, that's a good question. I think uh, again, like part of his style is very hands off, and he like he, he, I think he is great. He gives so much independence and so much trust, and like mm-hmm. he, I don't think he wants to be that much part of the process. Just because I think if one is that involved in the making of something, it's quite hard to see the objective feeling that it gives afterwards. Um, so he almost wants to see each department's work as an audience member. So he gave, you know, complete freedom. Like, you know, he, he would never say anything about instruments or be in the same room while I was writing and saying, oh, should we try this out? Should we try this? Maybe it was like a really unexpected um, amount of trust. Yeah, exactly. So instrumentation-wise, uh, there were a lot of different ideas. And I think actually getting the textures and the instruments right was a really big part of delivering what I wanted to. So much stuff with instruments being recorded separately and then manipulated and i wanted this feeling of something that seems familiar but actually in like in the kind of subconscious lizard brain part of your like you can tell there's something a bit off with it and like similar to the feeling where with bella where so many people are instantly magnetized towards her even though there's alarm bells going off and their subconscious saying like this isn't this isn't right but it's so alluring to so many in different ways so like cellos that are made of violins and like you know getting a lot of high pitch instruments made very low and very low pitch instruments made very high so that there's some there's a lot of instruments that sound like oh yeah that's you know an oboe doing something or some cellos or whatever and it's actually something quite different that's being that kind of i guess the uncanny valley of um more traditional instruments 
And then also uh, there was a lot of synthesized stuff. I think I also wanted to be very cute and very sweet and like naive and vulnerable and not even that polished. I think it, I, re I really wanted this kind of far more honest and far more vulnerable way of evoking, especially Bella's kind of early experiences. Yeah. And like it had, it had, it couldn't be just like this kind of very objective, like slick Hollywood, invincible kind of music. It had to be as unbalanced as she was. So a great thing, which I think, you know, from my background of writing pop songs a lot, was really satisfying to work on was the fact that because she's basically a new person, she's experiencing a great deal of incredibly emotional events very um, suddenly, like she's, you know, love for the first time, affection, and like also seeing like death and horror and famine. Yeah. And then she's finding out later on why she decided to kill herself and so on. And like, because she's feeling these things for the first time, I, there was the opportunity to like really hearingly concentrate them make them yeah i don't know if melodramatic's the right word because i think it's so appropriately extreme and painful when you feel all of these things for the first time you know yeah and also the kind of way that the music kind of follows the journey with her as she grows as she learns as she becomes more experienced and i don't know it's a beautiful kind of she continues to be this free spirit right through you know what i mean nothing seems to kind of she she goes through all these experiences, but I don't know, she comes out the other side of it, just this this extraordinary being that you're even more captivated by at the start. And you kind of feel like as she's rebirthed, the, the music is kind of almost got kind of like a real childlike quality to it, but it, it, it kind of grows with her. Is that a fair, would you say that's a fair thing to comment on? Jeff? No, no, I fully agree. It's like, you know, so, so much of it is down to how extraordinary Emma's performance is. But the, the the most interesting part is there's there's not a point where she's normal. It's like she starts from being kind of like way less experienced and knowledgeable than it, and she's basically a kid. And it kind of grows in like outside of she kind of like avoids ever being like a normal mature age, and then suddenly yeah. goes from this kind of like weird juvenile to being kind of superhuman in her psychology and emotion and intelligence. Um, so that it's yeah. For me, though, it was that it was it was nice that there was no point where you had to settle for like something more orthodox and expected. Like, and there's so much of her in the end, in the beginning. There's like she's so courageous in the beginning, even though she's kind of an idiot. 
And yeah. at the end, there's still this kind of childlike optimism and then like, you know, adoration towards people who are formerly her carers, as well as her now being, you know, phenomenally, you know, mature and like hyper intelligent and kind of now with the vindication to start changing the world as she sees fit. So you know, the whole arc is just fascinating and yeah. it's there's infinite amount of stuff there to be thinking about musically <laughs> when did you start creating because obviously you've got music in the film you know for that dance scene and you're in the film as well mm. you know in that in the band and so that obviously had to be written prior to filming and I wondered what point you know were you working before along on the rest of the score before they were filming or were you reacting to being on set and watching things as they were you know, because seeing that 200 page document with so much in it, that's one mm. thing. But being on those sets, you know, whether it be like the Lisbon set, the scale yeah. of these things and the world that he's created. And I kind of almost avoid telling, describing the film to people. All I say is you have to watch it because you mm. don't want to spoil anything for anyone because it's just it's such an experience. But for you. So this is the longest question I've ever asked. Were you privy to performances as they were happening and reacting to that? Or or when were you creating music for the film? Yeah, sure. No, I mean, I totally agree. Like the sets, like, you know, Lisbon's one example. But like, I mean, I was really lucky. I got the opportunity to visit most of the sets while we were in the Very process good. of filming. And like they, they are, I think, you know, the VFX department has done like such a wonderful job in like putting so much stuff together and with the animals. But I think if you watch the film, you'd be surprised at how much stuff was actually in the camera and how little like the, all the skies, like the really kind of high sight that they're all physically present and like, you know, these huge screens behind the sets and uh, it's an incredible environment. Most of the music I wrote actually before filming started, I, I, I was given all these materials about, I want to say six or so months before principal photography. I mean, it was very inspiring to see the set and I definitely wrote a bunch of music when I came back and then there were maybe two or so scenes where there was some gaps that needed plugging, maybe two or three. So I used some of the stuff I'd written based on my experience seeing the set in full. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, part of me obviously would have loved to see the set first just to um have that experience. But no, no, most of it. And I think that's kind of what contributes to the music being less of a cosmetic spectacle and a lot more to do, I believe, with just the, this interior psychology and the internal reactions and the emotional interiors of the characters rather than trying to be something kind of more classically bombastic. So in that way, around it worked. But yeah, I know most of the stuff I think before was filming. We hear music before we see anything. You know, mm -hmm. you hear, um, you know, and then we have this scene of a woman, you know, falling off a bridge and we have no idea. You don't know what's going on at that point. It's kind of, you know, it's a really mm -hmm. interesting into the film sort of thing. But in terms of, you know, that cue at that point, it's almost like, the past but the future the future for us as film fans but it's the past in terms of the narrative of the story in a way it's mm. kind of it's such an interesting sort of thing to think about in terms of when you're putting a piece of music to that and you're setting yeah, the tone as well for the film is in a weird way as well because it's yeah. like it's the start you know it's, it's i think as well that 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 motif that comes at the very beginning this kind of four note sort of discordant ish sequence on the violins like that kind of comes up a lot and i by the end you know when we're thinking about it that kind of became our kind of like analog for yeah the past of Bella's character for you know what what her previous life would have been so like you know in the scenes where she's in it it becomes you know 
it's really in stark contrast, and especially mm. towards the end of the film, where you see her life, it's just that theme over and over, and it gets more and more intense. Mm. But, but like during the whole journey, there are bits where that theme is kind of like more subtly interwoven to the other stuff, and you hear it more, like you know, in the bass sometimes, or just kind of very unnoticeable. But it's always this shadow of her previous life that I think is hanging over the whole story. As our as the world changes for us in terms of watching the film, you know, as we go from black and white to color, for example, and things like yeah. that, is the idea that that the the sonic scape changes as well as the visual scape changes. No, I think um, the music definitely, like you know, that there's more instruments are added. Like literally, just the frequency range becomes wider. You get more at the bottom um, and slightly more at the top, and like yeah, and like harmonically as well. It, like a, a great deal of pieces from the beginning is slightly more simple and diatonic and then you get these more mixed emotions these kind of chords which are like kind of a bit happy but kind of a bit queasy not so exaggeratedly but in general the music i think does kind of swell and mature with bella's character her personality Mm -hmm. and experience but i think also it's you know as we said like she never becomes normal the score never becomes that normal i think it still retains this kind of childishness and yeah rough courage I suppose. There's a couple of cues I wrote down as well. I mean, the cue as well when um when God's explaining Bella's story to Max, you know, in terms of mm. what that does, the way that you and Yorgos have worked to create cues that go over dialogue, how they also go over scenes without dialogue, like when she's exploring Lisbon and she sees the couple arguing and you know, and almost like it feels like the music's almost a slight internalization of her emotion as she's witnessing all these different things in a way. And then also not using music, you know, that's almost as important, you know, as, as where you use music as not using music. No, it's, it's, it's an interesting way of categorizing actually the kind of verbal and non-verbal parts. I think there's definitely an element of, you can see some of the pieces can really clearly come from Bella internally and like it's almost 
like kind of miming her feelings and other parts it's actually her being unaware of something very big and dark swirling around her and it's Mm. it's it's a subtle and it's a weird kind of distinction to kind of executed now that does make sense and yeah no i think i mean again like so much of the decision as to where music is or isn't in the film is down to yorgos and to be honest when i was writing I, i wasn't expecting there to be as much music as there ended up being and i think it was ended up being an important part of trying to communicate this kind of unspoken emotion or unspoken threat around the film yeah. But I think no, he's very he's great at you know knowing when to cut the tension and when to have this kind of empty space. And also a lot of it was down to um Johnny Byrne, who was their sound designer. Um, and he's worked with Yorgos since the Lobster, and he was you know phenomenal sound designer. And we had a lot of chats when we were in the mixing stage of the film about yeah. if there's music playing, does it you know there are bits where it wants to be drowned out by the noise around it, and there are bits where you actually want to like totally remove all the sound design so the music's actually very painfully apparent and the interplay with silence and not silence and all of this atmosphere in the music i think actually has such a large role to play and the effect music has so you know i'm very thankful to you know you know johnny as well and his own yeah. right is just so so creative and talented about uh, uh, yeah. what he does with the sound it's the scale of what he does you know from the kind of subtle stuff that you don't even realize has been so much work to to create to almost the kind of the really obvious kind of like cranked up like you know with a squish 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 bit you know and kind yeah, of that, yeah. things like that where he you can see it's just fun and it kind yeah. of just yeah it's like you know i've seen the film like three four times now and every time that just makes me want to like vomit the stuff. It's <laughs> so good but it's like it's like you can see that there are you know, that kind of collaboration, like you were saying, like with Yorgos, with the freedom that he kind of gave you is like similarly with, with Johnny and what he kind of loves is people doing what they do and what they do really heightening the story and telling the story in a specific Yorgos way, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think all of us, like, you know, yeah, all of the people who are collaborating on this final thing love that freedom. I think you can tell this isn't, that this is the work from every department of people who realize that they can do what they want and they can actually have a lot of fun with it. And it's like, you know, that design, which is going so much further and more, you know, elaborate than it ever, yeah. you never need to. I think it's, it's people doing more than they feel like they need to. And like, this isn't just a job for anyone. Like there's such a collective belief and passion for the telling of the story. And, you know, I've, it's been so lovely working with these people and there is just this unspoken sense that, you know, we're not going to do what we're expected to do. We're all going to actually like, you know, really push it to a, like an extent where, yeah, something really dizzying, I think. Can we talk about the dance? Because it is brilliant. I kind of almost want to embrace that at every opportunity I have where I have to dance in public that I just Mm -hmm. kind of embrace Bella and just kind of go for it. It's so freeing to watch in a way. Yeah, no, it's an amazing sequence. Yeah, no, I mean, it was really fun working with um, Constanza McCrass, who's the choreographer on that and, you know, writing the music for that sequence. And it's great because it's such a funny scene. I think Mark and Emma are both phenomenal so in, in how they both, you know, act. But, it, but there's such an amount of dance storytelling in it, as well as it just being a really, you know, very funny and very beautiful sequence to watch. Like all of the little dance things about like how Mark ends up kind of, a beat behind Bella most of the time. And it's like, this is almost the point where you realize that she's to- been in control the whole time and he's actually, you know, being fucked about with by her <laughs> rather than the other way around. And like all of all of this like nuance in it and him kind of being humiliated and 
her actually you know realizing that she can you know i think it's a really pivotal plot moment and yeah, yeah. just filming it was great fun like it took days and days to get the whole thing and saying can we you know the band's all playing live there's no pre-record on it so yeah so it's really it was like a very complicated because there's stunts as well and like different elements of the dancing and we're actually having to accompany everything in camera so yeah a lot of work but like it was it was like rehearsing a play more than like filming for a thing because it was so you know had to be so tightly synchronized yeah and writing that specific piece of music then in terms of you know knowing that within this scene there is so much storytelling going on without dialogue was that something that you're conscious of whilst you're writing did you kind of collaborate in terms of you know what kind of tempo it needed to be or you know how it shifts that kind of thing or what was the kind of journey of that piece of music that's a good question I mean a, a big question was to do with it's one of the only kind of diegetic pieces of music and like what was the relationship between my score and the music that's actually in the universe I think I, I actually wanted it to be slightly more grounded in reality and I did do an amount of research on like traditional Portuguese music and stuff I didn't you know follow it too closely in the end but I wanted to know where it would be coming from because mm -hmm. I think it was important the music had you know had to have something kind of like odd and alluring and really primal to it just to attract Bella in the first place but then also it was a, it, it needed to be Bella's weirdness had to stand out from the music and it was really important that her that she was weirder than everything else happening in the scene just to like you know emphasize how separate and unique she is in the film so I, it, it, it was this kind of fine line between something that she would have been really entranced by but also mm was more drab than she was, more traditional than she was. any of your music on on set you know in terms of you know it's it's interesting when I've had the 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 luxury of speaking to composers and occasionally you know when the music has been written in advance of the film for the director sometimes having that music to play cast and crew on set kind of really helps it kind of it's a tonal thing it's a kind of you know it's sets the world almost in a way yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, Yorgos loves, this is part of the reason why he built such elaborate and working sets that he wanted as little artifice as possible. He wanted this like, you know, real sense of immersion. And yeah, I believe that a lot of the music was played on set just as like, you know, before and after takes as like this atmospheric kind of guidance. And this is, you know, a way that Yorgos works in quite a lot. And also, I think, because, you know, uh, Emma as well, who's like a producer on the film, like mm. I, the, Yorgos and Emma had been chatting for so long before even formal rehearsals had started about what the conception of this character might be. And it's great that she, she was producing as well because there's this collaboration on like every aspect of the film, not just what her performance is. So, you know, things like how it looked and how the music sounded, 
I think from the very beginning were really integrated into Bella's DNA. I think that that really shows in the film. Did she speak to you much about it then? Did you converse with Emma much about various bits? Not before, yeah, not much before. I mean, I was mainly chatting to Yorgos before filming started, and then like, yeah, on set more, especially you know doing the dance sequence and stuff. After that, there were you know that's when the people I was talking was talking to kind of expanded more and i you know i could start sharing my ideas about it and discuss the interplay and listen i've 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 overstepped my time here with you it's been um it's so great to get to talk to you specifically about so much of it it's such an important part to to the film and the story and the experience so it's been great to chat to you about it thank you so much for your time jessica absolutely no it's been lovely to chat to you great to see you again you too have a great day see you later okay bye-bye take care bye-bye From the score to Poor Things That, I Just Hope She's Alright by Jerskin Fendricks. Rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Jerskin, Yorgos and Emma. My huge thanks to all three for taking the time to talk to us. Poor Things is on general release now and as you can tell, I absolutely loved it. Get yourself along to a cinema to watch the film if you haven't seen it already. It will enrich your lives. If you want to hear my previous chats with Yorgos and indeed Emma head to edithbowman.com and do follow us on our socials. We are at Soundtracking UK. Next up, we've got a very special episode of Soundtracking uh, talking about Argyle with Matthew Vaughan, Gary Barlow, Lauren Balfe and Stuart Price. Uh, It's also been filmed in quite a brilliant way, which will stick up on our YouTube channel. But join us next week as we have a kind of really special deep dive conversation about music and creativity uh, with the team behind Argyle. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. Mm -hmm.